Welcome to episode 319 of the Spokesman Cycling Podcast. This show was recorded on Sunday, 8th of January, 2023. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast is brought to you by Turn Bicycles. The good people at Turn are committed to building bikes that are useful enough to ride every day and dependable enough to carry the people you love. In other words, they make the kind of bikes that they want to ride. Turn has e-bikes for every type of rider, whether you're commuting, taking your kids to school, or even carrying another adult. Visit www.turnbicycles.com, that's T-E-R-N, bicycles.com, to learn more. Happy New Year! It is 20, and it's really, it's a real big struggle to say it is 20, it's 23, isn't it? Donna yeah. and, 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 and Jim, uh, it's, it's Happy New Year and it's 2023. We've been doing this since 2006, or at least the podcast has been going since 2006. And you guys were on from relatively early. So we've been doing this an awfully long time. So just Happy New Year for this incredibly uh, strange year that we, we, we now have. In the future, in effect, we are 2023. Um, so we have with us uh, Jim. And Donna. Hello. So, Jim and Donna, welcome to the show. Now, Donna, um, we have been discussing what we're going to be talking about on, on the show today, and and we have realised that me and Donna don't really have any uh, major uh, bodily traumatic episodes to recount. Thanks. Whereas, whereas a, a, a certain attorney might have something, including you know being probed by robots. <laughs> You've been probed by robots, Jim. Tell us about your robot probing. And just to clarify things quite quickly, it was not a sexual activity. Um, I never said it was, Jim. You went there. I, I know, there. but I know that several other people probing, in probing the does not mean that. Yes. and we're yes. and we're off and running for the new year. Here That's right. <laughs> so, through a series of odd tests, looking for something else. And uh, honestly, somebody checking one box rather than another, um, they found that I had two large growths in one of my kidneys. And large meaning baseball size and golf ball size. I tried to set a new record. You know me, always wanted to be number one. and uh, But I didn't quite make it, I found out. Um, and so I went to, a, I think it's called a nephrologist who looked at these scans, looked at me and said, we're removing your kidney. And 15 days later, I was in the hospital for 26 hours where they took out my right kidney by a robot, Da Vinci robot, phenomenal surgeon. Um, I mean, just a really nice guy. I I got to enjoyed him even when I came off the drugs. Um, Sort of interesting, I have six holes in me, three for the robot, one for an assistant, one for a camera, and one where they actually removed the kidney. Um, it's almost like a tic-tac-toe board. Uh, to get a video? To get a video of it afterwards? You know like, it's all been, you know, by scanned with, a, you know, with cameras. There must be sort of like I, an episode you can put on YouTube. I actually no, asked no, him, no. and he said, <laughs> we don't save them unless you request them. And I said, I mean, I really, I, I would have watched it now. I wouldn't have watched it the first couple of weeks, but now, you know, that you're pretty much healed up, pretty much. 
Um, I think I would have watched it. It's quite interesting just to hear him talk about it. And I've, he, he keeps looking at me and says, you have all sorts of questions about how we did it. You don't really have that many questions about what's going to happen to you. I know what's going to happen to me. I'm going to heal up and fall down again. And his response was, you should fall less. <laughs> you know, well, oh, what the heck? Did he have that? Did he have that same advice for another one of our beloved members? Of the team? Yeah. Yeah. I think Tim needs to learn how to fall. Maybe that's it. I fall. I've had a doctor tell me that I bounce better than anybody else he's ever seen. I put it on my resume. Um, yeah. We were mountain biking, knocked myself cold. Um, he, and he's a neurologist. He just said, you bounce better than anybody I know. So, um, okay, we digress. How are you yes. feeling now? Uh, you I'm okay. I'm, I'm great. I really am great. I, it's, you know, there's a lot of muscle there layers there, even though in my case, they weren't that prominent. Um, and so those lower layers are still he- healing, but the scars are great. Um, in another couple of days, I get back to full activity, although I'm full is going to be a different definition for a while, but I'm, bike, I'm happy. Bike, Jim. But when can you get back on a bike? Well, I was told I could get back on a trainer, um, mm. Thursday. Um, and so yesterday, Friday, I went down t- to the basement where I had my trainer. And I set everything up, and then 20 minutes later, I still hadn't been able to get my leg over the back of the tire to get on the bike. <laughs> it, Is that because you've got a, like a road bike hooked up? Yeah, yeah. So it, you, I mean, could, you, it, you could just—I mean, I'm not saying go and get one, but you—if you had a like a uh, a one that's not quite so strictly road shaped, you could perhaps get on one of them. I mean, a lot of yeah. recuperation. You know, even when people aren't cyclists, they, they recuperate on, on exercise bikes. Yeah, I, I even put a stepladder next to it, still couldn't <laughs> figure out how to pull it off. Because once you get out of balance, there's just, you know, anyway. So uh, that should have been videotaped. Um, but so I'm, I'm going to try again maybe this afternoon. I have another idea. Uh, it involves two milk crates, one on either side, and a pulley system. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think you need maybe big cushions on either side. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and then you get the advice from, from, from Tim on how to fall. Yeah. So, Donna, you were, you were mentioning you, you brought uh, Tim's crashes up. Because uh, if we go back in the archives of, of this show, we could probably have you know, quite a few hours of discussions with, with Tim about his crashes. So, to, so tell us, what, what do you know about his latest escapades? Oh, only, um, unfortunately, I haven't talked with Tim, but only what I know from his, um, from his Instagram feed, mm. which anyone can, can check out. It's Timothy V. Jackson. Um, but he had another crash where he needed a new hip and he had a fracture near his knee. Um, so he had to have some pretty big surgeries, um, was in the hospital for quite a while and, um, but is home and is okay. Let's, let's go with that. He's home and mm-hmm. uh, okay now. Um, and well, our best wishes to Tim because his, yeah. his, his, his Instagram can be quite gruesome at times oh. when he does show us his injuries. So sometimes he shows his shots of, you know, of, of him with his hand in the air, uh, riding his bike and they're, they're, they're great they're not going to offend anybody uh, who might be squeamish. But then he will show his, his injuries, and he has had 
a lot of injuries. So our best wishes to, to Tim yeah. for recovery. And I, I also, he gets on his bike uh, really, really soon. Now, uh, what have we been doing over uh, the, the, the last time we, we talked, over the Christmas and, and, and the New Year? So, so Donna, first, what have you actually been doing? You've been out on your bike much? What, what have you been up to? Um, no, we've discussed this. I'm a fair weather person and it is cold here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, no, but my better half has been on his trainer and out on the New Year's ride and all of that. So I support that. And, um, <laughs> but, um, but no, I, I am very much a fair weather outside person. So let, we will, we'll reiterate that. But, um, but good holidays. Um, I actually, not for this podcast, but I have been diving into my ancestry on ancestry.com. So, um, that's, that's a good inside activity for, for me for the winter. But, um, but yeah, all good. And, um, hope everyone out there is having a good new year so far and a healthy one. And looking forward to doing more of these podcasts in the new year. Mm-hmm. Now, while I've, while I've got you both on and we, we started talking about medical stuff there and this, this will interest people i guess everywhere uh but certainly wh- where we are in the uk we have a, a socialized medical system where you don't have to worry about crashing your bike or having nephrologists poking around you with a with a machine because it's you know it's paid for by the state but well by people we, we pay for it via uh, you know various forms of national insurance now what about in the US? Is it a worry that you mustn't crash your bike because you're going to have loads of injuries? So something like Tim, you know, if he's crashed lots and lots, is, is he just uninsurable? I mean, how how do you guys cope with your medical system for for what here would be quite routine? So Jim first, I guess. Well, <laughs> uh, the the fortunate thing in my case right now is is that I'm over the age of sixty five, so uh, the government the medical program, Medicare, picked up 90% of it. And then I have a supplemental policy that picked up the rest. Um, but for somebody like Tim, uh, it would be purely private health care. Um, and that would be something that he would pay a monthly premium for um, that could be anywhere from you know $300 and he writes a big check to get out of the hospital or, you know, $5,000 a month and he writes a smaller check to get out of the hospital. Um, and, and, and for years, you know, because of my activities, I couldn't afford to write the check to buy the, the insurance. Um, Is that for skiing? So like things that are dangerous, you, you, you just can't insure yourself. Yeah. Um, mm. There in the past, you filled out these forms. Once they found out you took risks and I was a pilot mm-hmm. And I'd been above 20,000 foot climbing and I had skied out of bounds and I was a rock climber. And, you know, I was quoted $15,000 a year with a $15,000 deductible one time. Um, So the crazy thing is, if you're doing those kind of activities, that means you're going to be fitter than the average person, less likely to keel over and die of a heart attack, I'm guessing, than the average person because you're getting out there and you're doing very active stuff so if anything the insurance companies should be like supporting that but they don't operate like that they just operate on pure uh uh, figures that they get i guess yes and even more importantly 
the, uh, the law got passed, federal law got passed uh, 2000, 2002, something like that, that allows the health insurance company to exclude high-risk activities. And so things like skiing, I mean, going mm. up to your local ski hill and skiing, those injuries can be excluded in your policy if they notify you in advance. Um, uh, indoor rock climbing, going to a gym, all those can be excluded. So it's something that you need to pay attention to or you may, ha- you may think you're covered and you may have an injury and find out that you're writing, well, you're, you're either writing checks or you, you're dodging, you know, bill collectors. Um, so if you are, and I'm, I'm not so sure cycling is covered in those things. Is it included, but, uh, mountain biking, I know can be. So, Mm. yeah, I just know from like when, when we're getting travel insurance, uh, yeah, myself or for my son, these things are very often excluded and certainly racing of any sort, you're always going to be excluded from insurance. Uh, from those sort of things. But can I ask Donna, and um, Jim's going to come in on this as well, but just, do you think any of this, that, that kind of, you know, thought in the back of your mind, well, I, I, I can't afford to crash my bike. I'll just drive to the shops. You know, I, I, I can't afford to, you know, to go along the, 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 the dirt road or on the road and, and, and have any sort of injury. I'm going to be protected in the car. So is that potentially just the, the, the insurance, the medical system you have in the US, could that potentially be putting people off doing things that are not protected by, you know, steel exoskeletons? Just speaking in a very general way, Mm. not for everybody, I don't think so, because I truly don't think unless I'm so sorry, Tim, unless you're someone like Tim, um, you don't ever think you're going to crash or you don't ever think that you're going to get hit by a car. Um, you may say, I've got my helmet on, maybe even, you know, um, a jacket or something like that or, or any other kind of protective items. But until it happens, most of us, I, I, it's, it's human nature, right? That's not going to happen to me, you know, and you're not thinking about insurance. So, could someone think about it? Sure. But I, in general, I don't think so. That's just my opinion. I don't know. Jim, you could have another one. So not, not, so. not, not mentioning any names here. We're not saying this is Tim. But if there was somebody like Tim in another sport, maybe somebody, maybe somebody who uh, does skiing, for instance, or another adventurous sport, um, would they be thinking, I can't do this because I've had 10 catastrophic excursions to the to the to the local hospital and i can't be insured anymore and i so i can't do this so so yes for general people there might it might not be but what if you're like a super athlete would it stop them it, it and that's will, i guess I both mean, jim or, pro- t- or sorry go- if you're a professional athlete then no probably not because you may have sponsors you may have whatever but um you may be part of a team that has a team you know has um has a team policy but i think if you were a general you know like me um who goodness you don't ever want to see me out in the snow but um and has had several several accidents you would probably have bills and you know just as jim said you know you may be paying off monthly and think you know i've already had two spills and had to go to the hospital and i'm still paying for them so I think I'm going to sit this season out. 
I yeah, like that. Yeah. Once once you've had one, you're constantly thinking about the cost on the second one. And and let me even give you a better example. When I was working in the ski industry, we looked at pre-employment physical tests, not physician tests, but a, a, a physical trainer, who a athletic trainer type of person who would see if the employees who were getting hired had ACLs or not. In the ski counties, there are hundreds, hundreds of people who have torn their ACLs, can get around fine, and can't afford to get them fixed because um, it's just too expensive and they don't have any health insurance. And so we were testing because what would happen is they'd come on board, they'd get a ski job, and three weeks into the season, they would have a fall and workers' comp. You know, the Mm. health insurance, if you're employed, would pay for your ACL surgery. And so that was a, uh, I mean, it was, you call it a scam, but it's, it's a simple fact that, you know, people, if they don't have the insurance, even if they do have the insurance, they don't have enough money to pay the deductibles, their share of the insurance. So, that, so you're, you're sort of saying that if you, if you get enough of these, say, crashes or, or injuries, then in effect, you, you'll be uninsured. Because you yeah. can't afford the insurance for it. So you're uninsured, you're going out on the hill, you're doing whatever risky thing you're doing, in the full knowledge that if you crash the next time, you're bankrupt. Yep. yep. The number one reason why people, individuals, file bankruptcy in the United States is medical mm. bills. Mm. Number one reason. You know, they get injured somehow. Excuse me? You said you're full of fun facts. Oh my goodness. <laughs> really? That's the, that's yep. the number one? Wow. Yep. When am I not full of fun facts? That's just a sad one, though. You know, like, you just, I, that's just sad. So we are having this, it's a live, the reason I'm kind of asking that is because it is a live discussion in the UK at the moment, because our health yes. service, for, for political reasons, um, is, is being, is falling down. And an awful lot of the, the I don't know, what do you call it, conspiracy theories, I, I think just the very big worries that, well, one of the reasons is because an awful lot of politically well-connected people want to actually have an American medical system. And it's just, it always has surprised me that that's where you'd want to go because what Jim was saying there about the bankruptcies, you know, these things are often brought up as, as scare stories, but they're not scare stories. They're kind of, they're out there, they're real. And you guys are crazy. You know, I- For a lot of reasons. <laughs> yeah, they are scare stories. And I think the people who are pushing to have our medical system are those that are not looking at the financial, personal financial costs, either because they have not understood them or they have enough money, it doesn't matter to them. Mm-hmm. Yes, or mm-hmm. they have they are invested in an insurance type company they're going to start company you know but it's 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 also a libertarian type thing like the you know the the government the government or whatever you want to you know say it as they shouldn't have a say in such a thing that i i don't understand that but that, that seems to be a thing well it's 
I, I think that you could probably find somebody that would call themselves every type of political name who is for and or against um, every health insurance opportunity uh, that the United States is currently looking at or has looked at. Um, it, it, in the United States nowadays, I think that uh, the political designation we attach to somebody is not based on how they really think but how they want to be perceived. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, it's, okay. yeah, it's, it, it, I mean, yes, libertarian, the government should stay out of my life until they look at the cost of triple bypass. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, liberal, we should take care of everybody uh, until they realize how many people really, really are sick. Conservative, uh, not no more of my money should go to take care of anybody else but me. Um, mm. You know, whatever whatever your opinion is, you're welcome to it. I took an oath to defend it, um, but it it's scary. I mean, I I have the most phenomenal policy, supplemental policy, and it was based here again on a fluke. I have taught part time in the state college school uh, education system for years and i qualify because of that for what's called pira public employee retirement account health insurance and it's unbelievable so 18 years teaching one course a year qualified me for that and i have this supplemental policy that's just i mean it's everyone who i know is just amazed at it it's it's fantastic Mm-hmm. You know, and here again, a fluke. A fluke found this issue and a fluke paid for it. So we were straying, I guess, for some people, we're straying way too far into, into politics for a cycling podcast yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, but before we, 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 we go any further, I would, I would like to pass on. I know, you know Jimmy already responded to it, but we have had a message from Tim. Uh, and he said he couldn't, couldn't make it uh, on the recording today. Uh, and fortunately, he's had an utterly sleepless night due to, as you can imagine from what we were discussing before, injury issues. And he says he's feeling really way, way, way subpar. So hopefully we'll get Tim back on a future show and he can talk about uh, his latest injury so we can add it to hit, to the archive. Uh, or, you know, by all means, Google uh, on the on the-spokesman.com for uh, Tim Jackson's many, many escapades uh, where he's talked about his crashes and his his falls and his track uh injuries and I, all sorts of stuff like that but i do have to say he's a good healer and we're thankful for that yes mm. oh, he's always back on his bikes so that's a yeah. good advert he's like yeah. he, he has these major crashes but there you go he's, he's back on his bike within a couple of weeks and normally he does jim doesn't he yours posts images of him on the trainer first so yeah. good thing to have yeah he even posts them from the hospital that's what blows me away I couldn't. I didn't even know how to get my thumbs to work, let alone a phone. And yet he's posting pictures, laying in bed, all drugged up. So he is a true media person. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and then before we do go on to talk about some topics, I, I would like to bring David in here just to segue into a very brief commercial break. Hello, everyone. This is David from the Fredcast, and of course, the spokesman. And I'm here once again to tell you that this podcast is brought to you by Turn Bicycles. The good people at Turn build bikes that make it easier for you to replace car trips with bike trips. 
Part of that is being committed to designing useful bikes that are also fun to ride. But an even greater priority for Turn is to make sure that your ride is safe and worry-free. And that's why Turn works with industry-leading third-party testing labs like EFBE and builds its bikes around Bosch e-bike systems, which are UL certified for both electric and fire safety. So before you even zip off on your turn, fully loaded and perhaps with a loved one behind, you can be sure that the bike has been tested to handle the extra stresses on the frame and the rigors of the road. For more information, visit www.turnbicycles.com to learn more. And now, back to the spokesman. We are back with the first show of 2023, and we are with Donna, and we are with Jim, and we had a message even from our buddy who falls off his bike lots, Tim. Um, now, now, in the show notes, when we, we, when we discussed uh, what we're going to talk about uh, on, on the show, uh, we put names on and and we say you should go and read this and one of the uh, pieces that jim flagged up and it, it was also i'd seen it on social media lots and it was a good time for this particular piece uh, to go online so it's by uh, gloria Liu, and it's and it's in bicycling.com i'm assuming it was in the magazine as well it might not have been it might just be online but anyway it's in the health and nutrition section uh, section and it just says does cycling have a drinking problem? And now I haven't done a, a word count, but it's a massive, massive article. It's it's not just like a uh, a quick uh, slug there at all. It's huge. Um, and and Tim was actually was on social media was saying he actually uh, he had, we don't think he's in the piece, but he, he think uh, we think he might have contributed because uh, he's teetotal, isn't he, Donna? Isn't that uh, he's like eight years? He's been that's what he says on social media, yeah. Yes, he has. He says here in his LinkedIn post. So if anyone wants to read it, it is ah, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. I, I, I was wondering where I'd um, see that. Okay, is that he spoke with Gloria Lou for this piece? Since I've been sober for more than eight years now and have firsthand experience with both sides of the good slash bad alcohol coin, kudos to Bicycling Magazine for allowing Gloria the column space for this article. Yeah, it's it's a massive article. She just dwells dives into every aspect of it and rightfully now, the, so the Jan, and jan first i mean when it was actually published i mean i'm assuming that was kind of like timed for a time where you might have more alcohol than than even uh, more alcohol than you would have uh, normally but whenever a, an article I'm, I'm sure there's a name for this phenomenon but whenever a, a a magazine or newspaper has any headline with a question mark uh, you can invariably just say no you know that's the answer to that generally um and but in this particular case do we think cycling has a, a drinking problem donna for a lot of group rides and things like that they do end with a couple of beers is that a problem maybe um i know when i was going to interbike in vegas i was i was tend to hang out with a lot of folks, including a lot of bike messengers, and there was a lot of drinking, but that was kind of the culture. And again, culture equal problem, question mark. Um, mm -hmm. So 
you know, it could be the same of runners as well, which is an industry that I am very well in ingrained in. Uh, you go out for a group run, you come back, you have a couple beers, um, you do pub crawl runs. Um, so it is definitely there. And um, how, how, I don't know, how different is that? You said mentioned running. Uh, how different is that to just at the end of a work day? You do exactly the same with it, your 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 fellow workers. So I'm just wondering how, how different might that be from just basic social stuff. So this is just a this is a, it is an issue. It's an issue for every single sector of society, not just you know a small subset of cyclists. Yeah, in the article, it's talking about um, that there. You know, to quote this, it's in the bike shops where customers still tip mechanics in six packs. Um, it's in industry trade shows um, where people are drinking in their booths, at cyclocross races, gravel races, where aid stations offer whiskey shots. Okay, that's a mistake, to make, but okay. Um, <laughs> but um, so maybe, you know, she's talking about much more part of not just what I was talking about, that social piece after we'll go have a beer after a run or a ride, um, that it's mm. actually in ha in currency and in marketing and all of that. Um, and that would make it very different than, hey, let's go grab a beer after work. That's, mm -hmm. you know, to equate it to, you know, a, mar a, you know, a, a job in an, an office or something like that, where, hey, you wrote a great byline, here's a beer, we're not going to pay you for it. Mm. You know? yep. um, that doesn't make any sense. So, yeah, I think it's, it's ingrained. Is it a problem? Again, question mark. Jim, you were saying Some, something. Probably, sure. You want a good ski tune, you bring a six pack with you. You want a good bike tune, you take a six-pack with you. Well, in my case, since I've already worked on the bike, it usually takes a case. Um, but it's it's just part of the outdoor industry. Um, I knew one ski tuner who, I mean, and this guy was one of the best in, in the world, who didn't drink the beer that everyone gave him and would just stack it up. And then at the end of the ski season, he and his friends would go camping for a week, and they would have a pallet full of beer to drink Whoa. i mean literally that's how much beer he was tipped um mm. but he was smart enough that he you know shared it um so is it any more or any less i do drink more when i'm with friends i don't drink that much mm. at home by myself uh, but i don't drink that much anyway two to four drinks a month um mm. you know and that could be who knows why i've shifted to that um, but, but I don't think cycling has any more of a problem other than one small aspect and that's sponsorship. Everybody goes someplace after an activity and bars are the number one place because we can talk, you know, we, we could go to a library, but then we'd have to sit and look at each other. You know, we could go to a park, um, but nobody's going to bring us food. So, yeah, bars are, are the place we go because they offer everything we want to do at the end of activities. Um, but we have sponsorships in cycling. If you look at the back of a jersey that says, you know, or, or the front, um, 
nine times out of 10, and, and I count both of these, there's a brewery and there's a law firm. The brewery wants you to stop by after a ride, and the law firm wants you to call them if you get hit by a car. Um, mm. Cracks me up. Um, and, and, and I'm putting on cycling events now. And the first thing we get a list of is what brewery or what, you know, uh, liquor distributor or whoever can we get to give us money? Because they want cyclists. They, they want softball players, though. They want runners. They want all those people because probably because of the activity, they can drink more with less issues. I don't know. Maybe. Or maybe they just do drink more. Is it a problem? Because this, I mean, most... Most of the article seems to, I mean, it does mention other forms of alcohol, but it is basically about beer, beer. which which almost has its a self-limiting uh, aspect to it. And, you, know, you get lots of shots, you know, you don't, you're not going to pay for, for much after that, but you have, you know, quite a few beers and you're going to be, you can be uh, paying that out and that's going to take your time away from that alcohol. Yep. So if and- it's just a beer, is that less of a problem than say, you know, spirits? beer that several studies and at least one book have proved is the reason why we exist you know since water was going to kill us in the middle ages and before that beer allowed us to survive um Mm. so i mean yeah because beer doesn't you know contain the plague or whatever um but i mean cyclists tend to be certainly a a certain level of cyclists they tend to be pretty much fitness certainly aware and they will know the damage that alcohol can do so will self-limit and, you know they're not going to be they, they tend i'm assuming here and i'm asking the questions not assuming i'm asking questions would there not just be you're not going to have a, such a much of a problem because cyclists are fitness freaks and they'll just limit but they also limit carbs and they limit yeah. uh mm. you know protein and they limit sugars they limit everything you know, it's, it, you know, and if they, if they have more beer than whatever, they're going to limit something else. Um, if they have a donut in the morning, they may have less beer in the evening. Um, so, so it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter what the name of the carrier is. What matters is, is what is inside, you know, that you put in your mouth. Um, mm. Right. Sugar is 25 times more addicting than cocaine. Okay, I can have a donut or I can do a snort. What a, you know? Um, yeah. Does cycling have a cake problem? Right. You know, when we 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 can't get enough of that cake. Right. Um, I have well, a cake yeah, problem. I, I, oh, I would. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. But you know, so I'm I'm looking through this article and they're talking about, um, you know, the bike scene and. Um, and bike mechanics being women and feeling pressure to be one of the guys um, mm. and go out and drink and get drunk. And, and I could see that. Um, but it, to your point, would that be in any other industry as well? I don't know. Um, and but there is a there is a person here talks about a cycling team out in Kansas City, that they don't go for drinks after rides, like because of the health reasons, just as you're talking about, mm. um, people gain weight, cognitive, you know, all of that hurts their health. Um, so the article really does go back and forth a little bit on, you know, mm-hmm. that yes, um, 
uh, and, you know, cardiovascular disease and heart failure and stroke. And, you know, nobody, nobody needs that. Um, so, so it's interesting, but I also wonder, you know, is it, is it the younger group as well? Um, you know, where you're trying to make a name for yourself. So you're going out and you're doing all of these things. I don't know. Um, but I, I do think that if you are prone to have a problem that, just as you said, Carlton, it, you could find it anywhere. Yes. Um, mm. You can find it in running. I know at the end of races, there's beer gardens. There's, you know, we just, we don't go to a pub. You go to a quote unquote beer garden because it's right there at the finish line. You don't even have to go anywhere for it. Um, so I think if you're, if you're prone to have a problem or be on the verge of having a problem, yes there mm. but you could find that anywhere um yeah post ride post run spaghetti dinners are more dangerous yeah. for me mm. you know i mean the, 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 first of all it's bad the piece spaghetti. mentions <laughs> the piece mentions you know chatting to historians well she didn't come to me and <laughs> and ask my views on, on this as a, a cycling historian so i would have told her one thing and that is uh, in in germany there's a Shandy, do you know what Shandy is? No. Like a mix between lemonade and beer? What would you call that? Ew. <laughs> Yuck. Is that Awful. Ew? <laughs> really? Well, that's a standard drink across in, in here in Europe. Um, but it's called Shandy. So it, you'd ask for it in a, in a pub. And it basically limits your, your amount of alcohol. So you might have a full pint, um, but half of it's perhaps even more. It's going to be lemonade. And it's quite a sweet drink. Well, in Germany, that's called Radler. Uh, and if there are any uh, German speakers in the audience, they will know that Radler actually means cyclist. So the German word for <laughs> diluted beer is cyclist. And where that came from was there was a, it, it, there's many places where it, it's attributed to, but it's basically 1870s, 1880s, when Radler as a, as a drink, as a kind of drink uh, first appeared in Germany with that name. And it was meant to be, I think it's Bavaria, where uh, a, a bar which was attracting lots and lots of, of cyclists in the 1870s you know everybody's on their bikes going out to, to places and and drinking and the, the the publican had ran out or was running very low low on beer and so he, he knew there was you know thousands and thousands of cyclists were going to be appearing that day so he told his staff well dilute it with lemonade and they did this and the cyclists loved it because it it wasn't a full beer it was just half a beer which meant they could drink a bit more and be hydrated and so the german word for this particular drink which is a phenomenally popular drink uh everywhere in europe you know shandy stroke radler is bicyclist cyclist so there you go there's there's a historian uh, that could have uh, actually uh, uh, contributed to this 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 particular article well, here in the United States, we would have called it a softball. Mm -hmm. It's in the United States, you know, something was developed because groups of people came in. We call it a softball. I mean, how do you spell that? You said ball as in B-A-A-L-L? S-O-F-T-B-A-L-L. Softball right, right. is, you mm. know, what we all play. Um, you wait until at least the beginning of the first inning uh, to have a beer. Uh, you don't wait till you get done at the end of the game to go to a pub. You start drinking when the game starts. In some cases, there are lots of serious softball players don't want to get, you know, cards and letters, but there's all sorts of sports 
that drink. And this one just got named for after cycling because that's who's coming into town. If it were triathletes mm-hmm. coming through, they'd probably have that, you know, word for an awful concoction of lemonade and beer. <laughs> it's nice. You should try it. It's really nice. <laughs> well, interesting. In the article, she says that a 2017 report by Sponsorship Monitor, IEG, estimated that U.S. alcohol companies spend 74% of their sponsorship dollars on sports, and not only Mm -hmm. mainstream spectator sports like football, but also participatory events like 5Ks, triathlons, and cycling races. So, Mm. um, so Jim, you know, you're right. The, the example of the, the jersey. You know, yep. that is that that's true. So, um, yeah, I interesting. It's a great article. And I think that people should should read it and see, you know, what what their thoughts are about this. And but you it's know, do you pay your do you pay your bike mechanic in in cases of beer or 12 packs or six packs? And maybe bike mechanics should be asked, would you rather have the cash? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and maybe you should ask, how much do you drink? You know, do you think you have a drinking problem? Should I be contributing to this drinking problem? Um, you know, when, when you get invited to have a beer at the end of a day and you watch the other uh, mechanics work uh, on bikes with a beer next to them, are they having one before they go home or are they having six before they go home? Uh, when you see that's that's post that's post activity right yeah Whereas in skiing jim which is you're a skier it's it's a relatively strong culture to have alcohol in the middle of the day perhaps when you're still on the slope you know glue vine and all this kind of stuff now i've all i've all found that crazy you know skiing is hard enough and i'm gonna equate cycling in this these these are hard enough activities to do sober never mind a little bit drunk so skiing while inebriated seems to me to be absolutely crazy yet it does seem to be a cultural thing where you will have alcohol on the slopes oh it's it is in skiing it's even worse and i can give you a couple quick examples one in colorado it's against the law to ride a ski lift intoxicated and yet Mm. we sell Mm. beer and wine and Mm. drinks at mid mountain and top of the mountain restaurants at every resort in Colorado. So you can't get on the lift drunk, but you can use the lift to get up and get drunk. Um, mm. Right. And, and, and it is a, an absolute defense. If you are loaded to any ski injury lawsuit, you may have, you, you don't, you won't get a dime. Um, and in the seventies, and and 80s you knew that this guy was a great skier because he carried his own boda bag you know the little (sighs) fake italian bags leather outside that carried wine and you would ski down the hill and you know how good of a skier you were was based on how far away you could shoot the wine from your boda bag into your mouth and share with your (sighs) friends and you know somehow it got refilled at the bottom of the hill and you went back up again um, so this is where I'm trying to go with that, uh, Jim, is that I don't think this is a cycling problem. You know, no. so the headline is, does cycling have the problem? No, it's society has the problem. And you can link, you can go to lots of activities where people are probably being tipped with, with six packs and people are drinking. 
during their, their the, the, the downtime during lunch before they carry on doing that activity. Skiing being, I would say, is a, a, a prime example because it is so embedded. The alcohol is really, really embedded in that particular activity. So I'm just saying, you know, cycling isn't special here. Right. It's society is doing this. And more importantly, not, not cycling. Yeah. Whatever the sport, it, it's not the sport. It's the individual. Okay. If you, as a cyclist or a softball player or a skier or a professional tiddlywinks player, need to figure out what your relationship with alcohol is and whether or not that's good or bad. Alcohol, yes, at the end of the day, impairs. So why would you do an incredibly dangerous activity like skiing or cycling in any way impaired? Why would you do that? Because you don't have well, enough I guts think... to do it sober. Well, <laughs> don't know. You're that, or you, you truly have the disease, you have a problem. Yeah. And um, so maybe what we can all do as part of the, the, the sports industry, if you will, um, is give people the choice, right? If you want to tip your bike mechanic, give him, you know, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever, or her or them, um, <laughs> and let them decide how they want to spend it. If they want to go and buy, you know, a six a beer for the rest of the mechanics, then they can do that. Um, and so you're not talking about tipping again. This is out of my comfort zone. Okay. So sorry, <laughs> but, um, but also, um, you know, and same thing with events, you know, so if you're going to have a quote unquote beer garden at the end of, of an event and you're giving away, Hey, you get, you know, a nice event pint glass with your beer. Well, give the pint glass if somebody orders a seltzer water too, Right. you know? Um, so make it more inclusive, um, and give people that choice. And if somebody really is struggling because they have that, that disease or they're on the borderline, um, make it easier for them to say no. Mm. Mm -hmm. But might it not also be easy to say no if there's no availability? So what Jim was saying there was if you've got at mid-station and at the top, if you've got copious amounts of alcohol, isn't that a bit crazy should we not be limiting it a bit more or is that nanny state and you shouldn't be limiting it it should be up to individuals <laughs> now we're back to a political discussion <laughs> <laughs> i'm not going to uh, touch that one <laughs> nope nope okay I'll, I, one think, and then, I think we hmm. need i think we need tim for a further discussion on this and maybe yeah. we, we have this conversation again or mm. a similar conversation when we can have Tim for a little different perspective. I've not done this event, but there is an event. I mean, it's talked about, you know, hand, hand ups, you know, in cycle races and stuff. And we have something similar. There's an event or there used to be an event. I don't think it's one now. There used to be an event called the Real Ale Wobble. And that was a mountain bike event from way back in the 80s. It's a very, very old uh, event and I've never actually done it, but I've, I've been to the place where it's done. It's in a very small place in mid Wales, and it's basically a pub. In fact, a pub, a publican started this off, and it's basically you you start this race, and at every checkpoint there is a real ale to to imbibe, and then clearly by the end of this, you're probably not able to balance on your bike much anymore so clearly that was a that was an event that was specifically tying cycling and the the physical uh, action of drinking while you were cycling so that's maybe similar to the the, the hand well, you know, in in cyclocross we have dozens of those around here 
Um, there's one where, and motorcyclists are big on this one, but I've seen it in cycling now, where you go to each bar, hand you a card from a deck, and you have a beer, and then you hop on your motorcycle, or you hop on your bike, you, you, and you go to the next bar. Mo- motorcycle. Yeah, motorcycle. You literally mean motorcycle. That's a, that's a, that's a vehicle that goes on public highways. How right. can you possibly have that? Oh, it's every day. And at the end of the run, you may have gone to 10 bars and you take your 10 playing cards and come up with the best poker hand that you can figure out after X number of beers on a bicycle or on a whatever. And and I've done it on bikes. It's a phenomenal game, um, especially if you can win a couple hundred bucks with your poker hand. Um, but I mean, so this is we've discussed that this is a potentially a social you know, across many different sectors, but what's, what's taken, you know, the, 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 uh, driving under the influence has been made socially unacceptable. Whereas in the seventies, you know, it was acceptable to, to, to drink and then get into a car. We've made it socially unacceptable. Correct. So is this something that has to happen in, in, in drinking while taking part in sporting events should also become, that's just socially unacceptable. That's just, we don't have to be woke or anti-woke about this. This is just society will eventually say that that's not a sensible thing to be doing. And we won't do that anymore in the same way that, you know, driving under the influence is, is, is also seen in that kind of, you know, you can be crazy to do this category. But it, it won't because it became socially unacceptable here in the United States because of the damage to other people in, mm. and, and in cycling, you know, I mean, you could crash into another cyclist, uh, but if you crash into a car or a tree, you're the one that's going to get injured. So nobody cares. It won't create any society uh, woes or backlash. Mm. Donna? I don't know that nobody cares. Um, (laughs) The people who check you into the hospital care. Yeah. But we think about it too. So if you're, you know, in Carlton's example of going from, you know, ale to ale, um, and, and the name is, you know, expects you to be wobbly at the end, mm-hmm. right? The real, mm-hmm. real mm-hmm. ale wobble. In mm-hmm. some cases, those people are going to pack their bike into a car and then drive. <sighs> Right. Mm. So, you know, if you go to this real ale wobble or any other, you know, let's ride from bar to bar to bar and have drinks or drink after a mountain bike ride on a Sunday, most of those people are going to get in cars. And it's not great. That transition (laughs) from a bicycle to a car is where it goes from fun activity normal activity, socially acceptable activity to a non-socially criminal activity. Well, I guess it's, you can get a, you can lose your driver's license here in Colorado for riding a bicycle drunk. Mm-hmm. Wait, uh, what? Yeah. You it, can lose your driver's license? Yes. And, and we have bicycle drunk. drunk. And you can lose your driver's license for riding a horse drunk. And we have. I think many jurisdictions around the world will, will will have pretty similar. If you have a driving license, you can have it taken away if you're caught, you know, drunk on, on a, another form of transport. On a horse, I that one's the one that stretched <laughs> me. So anyway, and we have a case. We have a case where a guy was convicted, and the appellate court upheld it, and, and both riding a horse drunk and riding a bicycle drunk. 
So there is, of course, these jokes, um, like cartoons. Uh, they're often these are like eighteen nineties and, and early, early cartoons, but they're basically often brought out when uh, driverless cars are talked about because uh, we've had driverless cars in effect for a long time. Because farmers, when they'd get drunk on the with their horses, they would just get in the back of their cart, and the horse would know exactly where it had to go. So you had a driverless uh, car back in the eighteen nineties, just because your, your horse knew exactly where home was and you could just get in drunk and, and off it would go. Yep. Okay, I just looked it up because Google knows everything. Um, in my <laughs> state, it is not illegal and does not have OUI conviction consequences um, to drunk or drug-impaired biking. Really? Although, wow. although it is a terribly reckless thing to do is what... <laughs> He said. Yeah. So, so, so if you want to ride your horse, advocate, drunk, yeah, go to Connecticut, Massachusetts, Massachusetts. Excuse me, Massachusetts. <laughs> so, I don't know about Connecticut. Don't... <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, one of the old ways of, of finding out if somebody is drunk, so a police officer would, before they had breathalyzers and stuff, would be just asking them to ride in a or sorry, walk in a in a straight line. Whereas on a bike, if if you're drunk, if you're really drunk, surely you're going to fall off. If you are able to actually balance a bike and, and go in a reasonably straight line, you can't be that drunk. Whereas, and this is all devil advocate stuff here, I'm not advocating any of this. Um, uh, but if you get into a car, it's somehow different in that you're cocooned, you're possibly very, very warm, uh, you have music, you have all these distractions. So you shouldn't be driving while drunk, but cycling while drunk is somehow kind of okay, because the very fact you are staying upright means you're not actually that drunk. What, what, what do we think about that? I, I agree with you, but boy, are we going to get cards and letters. Um, <laughs> and, and I am sure, I mean, we have all met in our life somebody who is constantly loaded. You know, mm. who um, I was sitting in a courtroom one time talking to the sheriff who's there, you know, as the guard who said, yeah, we had to call flight for life because a guy blew a 0.53 on a breathalyzer when he got brought in. Um, point That's high, I'm assuming. Oh, that's five times higher than, well, 0.08 okay. is against the law to drive. This guy blew a mm-hmm. 0.53. Um, mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. that's me. That means he has drunk his entire existence. You, you can't mm. blow that much unless you're, you know, you're walking around at a point two, which is, mm. which most people would be unconscious at point two. Yeah. I was going to say, how was he even alive? Right. And that's why they call flight for life. You know, they didn't think he, they, you know, he was going to live. And so, but there's those people out there. They just wake up loaded and maintain that. So they could probably ride a bike for a while. But they're the exception mm. to the rule. And and for a cyclist, yeah, if a cyclist is seriously a cyclist, he can't ride a bike loaded. But he does provide entertainment and YouTube videos or TikTok videos. Mm. Mm. But you see, when you get that wobble, and I'll go back to the, the word wobble, you, 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 it's kind of a death spiral. You, you're going to fall off your bike, whereas you see drunk people. But they're actually keeping a straight line when they're or reasonably straight line when they're riding. Because as soon as you start that wobble, that wobble doesn't end in anything else apart from nine times out of ten a crash. Although, so the, the drunk cyclist basically cures themselves because they crash, whereas a drunk motorist, 
you know, can actually keep going. Although there is a new bike that I just saw a press release about that won't crash. <laughs> the three wheel. No, no. Is that a three wheeler? Two wheel electric bike that has, you know, oh, a computer right. that keeps it upright. <laughs> so now you can be totally blotto and ride the bike. pub. Yeah. So you can go to the pub. Yeah, it'll get you back. I mean, the, the, mm. the, the flip side of that is that's more enabling. Sure. Mm hmm. <laughs> So but isn't that maybe makes the case for does cycling have a drinking problem if somebody is creating a bike to stay upright if you can't yourself? But 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 wouldn't that just be for people with balance issues in general okay. rather yes. than drunk people with balance issues? Sure, we always create. So so beer w was created and ended up being a lifesaver because you could drink beer and not die of some disease. That's how you we could just boil water. Why? I mean, because the, they didn't know. About, you, but they didn't you know about. Boil, you'd have to put you'd have, to have hops in it, and you'd have to put barley in it. You could just boil the water, Jim. But they didn't know that in the fifteen hundreds, <laughs> the thirteen hundreds. The you know. You mean it's accidental? Just the, the beer being healthy is just well. Yeah, yeah. Didn't just know that. Didn't know it's the boiling is doing it. Okay. Right. It just happened. They didn't know that there were germs. They just knew mm. that people who drank beer seemed to live. And and so everything mm. in life can also be turned into an addiction, a problem, you know. Rock climbing evolved into bungee jumping, evolved into static jumping. Um, and I had a friend die because, you know, static jumping, meaning the, your rope does not stretch. And you take mm. this great big swinging jump and, you know, his harness came. Whoa. Up. Yeah. Right. Ay, ay, ay. It's it's sort of you can find videos on it. It happens a lot in Utah where you have great big cliffs and arches and you can take this giant swing underneath an arch. Uh, does that not do amazing things to your whole body when you hit that boom? Well, you try and do it in such a way that you curve into that, you know, point of of you know, no more stretch. Um, and I've not seen a video of anyone over the age of 35 doing it <laughs> I uh, mean, for obvious reasons. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but I mean, it's, it's mm. such a big thing in the state of Utah that the attorney for the Utah state lands attorney, um, and I became friends because it became an issue. And then he finally got to the point to say, look, if they want to die, let them die. You know? So anything can become a problem you know what was used to get out of to cross the canyon to get to better lands to grow food evolved into rock climbing uh, jim are you still on the hell site that is twitter or are you are you migrating to mastodon what are you doing i'm on mastodon and i'm on twitter and i'm on stimuli i'm not even sure how it i mean mastodon i'm learning Stimuli, I'm not even sure what I'm doing there. Um, but I thought I would try them all because I wanted to grab recreation law. Yeah. To yeah. hold on. No, to that's it. wise. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. I'm posting to it. Uh, the best way to find me is recreation dash law. And Donna, so I still see you on Twitter. And I'm, I'm, I have got a Mastodon, but I really don't. I think I've done one one posting. I'm pretty poor at that, so I'm sticking with the hell site. Are you sticking with the hell site? What are you? What are your thoughts on that? For now, yes. Mm. Um, so you can find me on Twitter at Donna Tosi, and also on Instagram. 
so thank you ever so much for being on today's show, uh, Donna and uh, Jim. And uh, as I said, this has been show 319. And uh, the next episode, because this was this is like a, a show that uh, almost shouldn't be here, because I did say in the last episode that the next show will be with somebody who's talking. It's a critical mass person who uses uh, uh, the world of song to actually get across uh, his message about getting more people on bikes. So, so that will be the next episode rather than this, this, this interim episode uh, talking about uh, kidneys and... Yeah, that literally were the only subject we talked about, wasn't it? Kidneys and beer. Um, so uh, it's been excellent for the, our first show of the year. So uh, next episode will be uh, Critical Mass. But meanwhile, get out there and ride. <laughs>